Good morning. Uh, so our kids are being dismissed. Um, let me walk, or introduce myself. Uh, my name is Nick Gillespie. I'm the community life pastor here at Covenant, which means I get to help people connect with one another, help people get connected, meet each other, relationships. Uh, it's fun. I think that's what kind of what makes church enjoyable is actually being in fellowship with each other. Um, so this morning I get to actually back clean up. Uh, we are ending a our sermon series which is just our mission statement to know Jesus and make him known. So we've spent the last three weeks kind of unpacking our mission here at Covenant. First, we think the most joyous, best life you could live is when you know who Jesus is and understand that relationship and are growing in that relationship. And we spent the first two weeks kind of unpacking what does that mean? What does that look like? How is it that Jesus transforms our lives? And then last week, Kyle kind of turned on us a little bit and said, you know, those of us who have come to know Jesus are in relationship with him, who uh, have experienced his love. Well, it's that love that we share from God, with God, towards God that motivates us to share him with other people. That if you love something, if you're passionate about something, then you talk about it. You talk about that thing. You share it. Um, And so last week was a lot of the why. Why is it that we share and that motivation? And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the how, and we'll be closing our, our sermon series. So I'm batting cleanup. So if you know baseball, what that means is either I'm going to hit a home run or strike, up, strike out gloriously. And so just forecasting that for you this morning. Um, the big idea that I'm going to present to us is this, uh, that God makes known the abundant riches of his grace and love found in Jesus through us, that God makes known the abundant grace or the abundant riches of his grace and love that are found in Jesus through us. We're going to be taking a look at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read it here for us in a minute. Um, let me kind of give you a little bit of context. So there's this guy, Paul. And Paul uh, loved Jesus, knew Jesus, um, followed him. And he actually moved at the time, this is ancient Rome, halfway across ancient Rome and planted himself in uh, the city of Corinth. He actually established a business um, and began to build relationships with people, all so that uh, he could tell people about who Jesus was. And so this church in Corinth got started because of Paul and his uh, companions, and uh, they really were growing. uh, But like most human beings, most churches, they also were really messy. And Paul began to kind of speak and address some of those messes that they had, some of the ways that they weren't really taking on God's grace and living obediently. And uh, he sort of uh, engaged them in conversation on that, how they need to change. And they didn't like it. They didn't care for Paul to sort of call them out, you could say. And so they began to reject Paul. So their founding father, they began to reject him. And in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, these are both letters. Uh, Paul is in correspondence with the Corinthian church. On one hand, He's imploring them to be reconciled to God and to grow with God, but then he's also imploring them to be reconciled to himself, that he wants to share in a relationship with them. He wants to reestablish that relationship. And this morning, what we're going to take a look at is how, how it is or how Paul has experienced the life of Jesus as he went about sharing with them, the Corinthians, the love of God. And we're going to read it, and then we're going to talk about what does this look like for us, or what might this mean for us as Covenant Church here and now today. So read with me, starting in chapter 4. Paul writes, Therefore, 
Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For, we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the, in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So de death is at work in us, but life in you. All right, Paul says a lot in 12 small verses. So let's begin to kind of break it apart. Uh, Alan and I bought our first home uh, in 2008, right? And it was a uh, fixer-upper, you could say. It needed some TLC. Um, Allie saw a train wreck. I saw a diamond in the rough. And I convinced her to sort of take the project on. And so... We bought this house and we began to fix it up, rehab it internally, rehab it externally. Now, internally, I mean, there's a lot of things that were like neglected, painting and different things like replacing doors, but on the outside, it had quite a bit of foliage. In fact, too much foliage. There were at least 35 bushes and small trees that surrounded the perimeter of the house. That was just the perimeter of the house. And then in the backyard were several large trees and in the southwest corner of the, uh, of the backyard lot were 15 Taylor juniper evergreen bushes. These evergreen, you've seen them, the tall, skinny evergreen bushes that are about six to eight feet in height. There are 15 of them all lined up in a row in the southwest right corner of the backyard. And so we move in, we get to work. And uh, it's but a couple weeks, and I'm all of a sudden, like, out in the backyard, because these 15 bushes are, are not just an eyesore, but, like, they're killing all the grass. I hate them. And so I'm going to get rid of these bushes is what I'm going to do. So one day, I just head out there, and I start cutting them down and ripping them up and all that kind of stuff. And uh, my new neighbor comes out uh, and approaches his own privacy fence and begins to strike up, a, strike up a conversation with me, introduces himself. So we're talking over his privacy fence, and he's like, Hey, would you like to know the story of those bushes? I said, well, sure. I would love to know the story of these bushes. He said, well, the guy that owned the house before you, he liked collecting cars, old classic cars. And he had collected a whole bunch of cars. Now, you got to understand, we bought like a 2,000 square foot like ranch house, two-car garage, not a four-car or six-car garage, two-car garage. This guy had like 10 cars. And when they didn't fit in his garage or on his driveway, he parked them in the backyard. And he wasn't really fond of like fixing classic cars, just having classic cars that didn't work. And as you can see, my new neighbor saw this as this guy's personal junkyard in his backyard. 
and uh, my new neighbor didn't like it very much. He didn't like every morning getting his coffee, looking out his window, and seeing junkyard on the other side of his lot. And so he took issue with the guy that owned the house beforehand, and he let it be known that he didn't care for all these old cars. Well, the guy that owned the house previous to us took offense to this, what this guy had to say about his own classic cars. And it started a feud, Hatfield McCord sort of feud between each other, one-upping each other, and finally, our neighbor's like, I'm done looking at you, and he plants these 15 bushes in order to create this visual barrier between him and this neighbor. And then this guy confesses to me, he's like, I didn't like those bushes, so I put up my own privacy fence. So anyways, they had a healthy neighborhood, uh, neighboring relationship. Here's the deal. The guy that owned our house before this, whatever he loved, whatever his passion was, he felt rejected that his neighbor didn't like his classic cars or what he did on his own property. And he did what all of us do when we feel rejected. He put up the walls. He began to create security around his house. He began to distance himself from that which was hostile or was against him. Rejection stinks. But to be rejected is to be human. Every single one of us has been rejected. And I know this for a fact because you've all gone through middle school. We have all been rejected for one reason or another. You're too tall. You're too short. You're too skinny. You're too heavy. You're too wealthy. You're not wealthy enough. You don't talk enough. You talk too much. I don't like your jokes. I don't like the unibrow on your forehead. Whatever it is, there are multiple reasons why people repel one another. As my grandma told me, probably in middle school, you're not everyone's cup of tea, Nick. And this is true. Rejection is part of life. And yet, it doesn't make it easy. I would have to venture to guess, as we talk about making Jesus known, it's probably, probably our number one fear is the fear of being rejected by others if we tell other people that we love Jesus and that we know him. In fact, Paul even addresses it here. He says, you will be rejected. I was rejected, you will be rejected if you love me and make me known. He says not only is it interpersonal, he says there's this whole other war that is being waged between the God of this universe, the God of this world, Satan, and our Heavenly Father. And it is Satan who has, he says, blinded people's minds and their hearts to know God and to receive his love and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And so he says... As he went and proclaimed Jesus, he was rejected by others. And that those who go and make Jesus known are going to be rejected by others. It comes with a territory. But we choose to take on being rejected for a variety of different reasons. First, Kyle had addressed this last week, but we choose to be willing to put ourselves in that position of being rejected because that is what Jesus has done for us. That the, the heart of the gospel is that God came in human flesh. That God didn't just sit up on his throne and just judge the world from his throne. He didn't speak from on high or far off. He became and became like one of us. He came to the earth. He was rejected by his own creation. And so because this is the road that our God has traveled on, it's the road that we travel on. And it's the way that God has reached us is because God came being willing to be rejected by us. And it was once we understood that, that we ended up receiving him. We also understand Paul kind of deals with it as he talks about being afflicted, but not crushed. 
is that as we are rejected, God sustains us. Like, we can't skirt around this. That to make Jesus known, it is not going to sit well with other people. And yet God sustains us. He takes care of us. He's provided for us. He loves us. But then also, lastly, the love of Jesus is the only hope of the world. He addresses it really quickly in verse 6 when he says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a big theological statement. But what Paul is saying to the Corinthians, he's saying this. He said, Jesus came and he forgave you of your sins through his death on the cross. But more than that, when he quotes here, he's quoting Genesis 1. He's going all the way back to the original creation, to the original humanity before it was lost, before it rebelled against God, and said the original shalom peace, the original relationship that mankind had with God, with one another, mankind's relationship to creation, his own purpose, his own identity, all of these things are given back to humanity through Jesus. He is the only path in which we actually come full circle to receiving that which God originally wanted to give us before we walked away from him, before we rejected him. And so we endure rejection because it is the only hope of humanity to reclaim what was originally ours. So Jesus is made known free of charge, with no strings attached. What Paul says is that I understand that I'm going to be rejected, and even though I'm going to be rejected, I'm not going to try to self-protect I'm not going to try to doctor up the message. He says, you know, we didn't practice disgraceful or underhanded ways. We didn't try to make the gospel more marketable or more pretty or different than what it was. He's like, we came and we proclaimed a very simple truth. And we let people either choose to receive that or not receive that. And that's what we do. Free of charge, no strings attached, we share with others the love of Jesus. And we let them make their own decision. Jesus is made known with no strings attached. Jesus is also made known paradoxically. That's really tough for me to say. <laughs> I like the word. I'm going to explain why. Paradoxic, paradoxically. Par- a paradox. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory prospect. Have you guys ever heard of like the birthday paradox? Apparently, when 23 people are in a room, that the chances that two people share the same birthday increases over 50%. Did you know that? So you wouldn't think it on the surface. There's 365 days, and if there's 23 of us, there's over a 50% chance that two of us share the same birthday. But my math teacher told me that that's true. And some of you who are math teachers are nodding your head, yes, it's true. Because math, I don't know, it's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. What Paul says here is that the way in which the love of Jesus is, is dispensed to our world is through our personal death. He says, death was at work in me, but life in you. Death is at work in me. God was working death in me so that there would be eternal spiritual life in you. It, it doesn't make sense. Jesus teaches it. He who wants to save his own life will lose it. He will, who loses his own life will save it. It's backwards. In verse 7, he says, we have this, jar, this treasure. This treasure is the message of reclaiming humanity and love with God and relationship with him in rightness and wholeness. And what does God do? He puts it in weak vessels, jars of clay, ordinary crackpots. That's what he chose to do. It doesn't make sense. And yet, 
That's what he's done. Back in the fall, Australia's uh, natural land has been ravished by forest fires. 15.6 million acres of forest fires. And if you look at pictures today, even in the ashes, you see plants beginning to bud and grow. That as God works death in us, it works life in other people. And there's no way around that. Several years ago, uh, I met a man named Matt. Um, I met him because actually I was going to an event with my friend Seth, who had invited me. Uh, Seth had put on like this fundraising gala or something like that, and it was exclusive. It wasn't like anybody can just come. Um, And so it was for a set of people, and Seth was putting it on, and Seth asked me to come to sort of support him. And so I went to support him, even though I felt completely out of place. I didn't belong there. I didn't fit. Whatever you had to be to be a member, I didn't fit the bill. But Seth invited me, and so I went. I felt rather awkward being in this place, in this space with these people, and I was hoping that Seth would be my lifeline so that I could, like, you know, just sort of walk around with him and, you know, feel comfortable. But Seth abandoned me because he had, like, responsibilities. And so I'm abandoned at this event by myself, but I did meet Seth's friend, Matt. And Matt and I struck up a conversation and we actually got along really well. And so we're like, hey, let's grab lunch. And so after uh, the event, Matt and I then begin to like meet up, uh, have coffee. We begin to like have lunch. We go play disc golf. Like we begin to actually develop a friendship with one another. And uh, as we talk about Matt's life and he shares with me, he shares with me some of the things that are missing. I begin to tell him about what Jesus has done for me. And Matt's kind of intrigued. And we begin to share that with one another just this guy, Jesus, and God. And Matt doesn't have much of a church background. He doesn't really know or understand. He's somewhat intrigued. And so, you know, as we're friends, we also begin to, like, talk about it. Well, one day, Matt just stops returning my texts. He ghosted me, as they say. That's what all the kids say, right? I got ghosted. Um, So Matt just stops, like, returning my texts. So a couple weeks later, I put it, hey, I haven't heard, you know, how you doing, Matt? I haven't heard from you. Nothing back stings a little bit. I go about my life. Well, a couple months later, Matt reaches back out to me and is like, hey, Nick, I'm sorry I've been out of contact. I would like to meet up again. Can we meet up sometime soon? Yeah, we can meet up sometime soon. And so we get together. Matt was having something going on in his life. He wanted support. He wanted a relationship again. I guess whatever I offered, he wanted that again. And so we began to like meet up again and just hang out, build a friendship, begin to talk about God, begin to talk about Jesus He began to express being intrigued by Jesus. What might this relationship look like? Tell me more about that. And so we begin to actually read the Bible together. And so we're journeying together, and all of a sudden, we're supposed to meet up for coffee. Matt doesn't show up, and he doesn't text me again. What do they say? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. No, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on this guy, right? Well, now three years pass by. Matt reaches back out to me again. I mean, out of the blue. Text me. I've been thinking about you. A lot's been going on in my life. I want to catch up. Can we get coffee again? Sure, Matt, we can get coffee again. So we meet up for Starbucks. And we sit down, and Matt's like, man, my life just went the wrong way. And, you know, I found a church. I began going to the church. I began being loved by these people. Man, I'm, I'm really starting to track it. I want to meet again. Will you meet with me again like we used to, Nick? Yeah, we can meet again like we used to, Matt. And so we begin to meet again. Have Matt over at my house, hang out, 
actually invited him to play covenant softball with us, build a friendship with him again, build a relationship. A couple months go by, Matt stops talking to me a third time. Now you're thinking, Nick, you just have a glutton for pain, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. Um, I don't mind it. And so now a third time, Matt has ghosted me. And so a couple more months go by. I'm very ahead to an event. I, I have a sense that Matt's going to be there. I have no reason for that. I just sense that Matt's going to be at this event I'm going to. I go to the event, and Matt's there on the other side of the room, and I don't want to talk to Matt. You know, I'm d- the bushes are up, you know. I don't want to talk to you, man. And so I'm like, Lord, I'm not talking to him. And so we do the whole event, and at the end of the event, I'm talking to some people, uh, and then I see him coming and approaching me out of the corner of my eye, and uh, once I'm done with my conversation, they leave. Matt says hello, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? And he's like, Nick, I just, I need you to know something. Two weeks ago, my life completely changed. He's like, I invited Christ to my life. Like, I've given him everything. And I, I need to let you know, I don't expect anything in return, but you've been the most consistent, persistent person with me. Whenever I've walked away from you, whenever I've stopped texting you, stopped communicating with you, you've always been there for me. You've always done what is best for me. And I was super happy. I was more than happy that Matt has come to know Jesus and the love of God in his life. And it has, you know, that was like eight months ago and things like he's just continuing to grow. And we've got a relationship again, but it hurt. It wasn't like I was immune to being rejected. It wasn't like I, I didn't want to not be around him because everything in me wanted to put up bushes. I wanted to protect myself. But I know that Jesus extended his life and love to me. And if God continues to create a path for me and someone else, I'm going to continue to lay my life down. Death is going to be at work with me, in me, so there might be life and eternal life in someone else. It doesn't make sense. On this journey of making him known, you're going to lose some things. You're going to lose some dignity. You're going to lose some resources. You're going to put yourself out there. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be forgotten. You're going to be put away. Your efforts are going to be discarded. It's just part of it. And yet, even as we experience that, God is doing a work in other people. And it's amazing. So we keep on giving it away because we trust that God is doing something amazing. It's a paradox, the death life paradox. So Jesus is made known with no strings attached. He's made known through this death life paradox. Jesus is also made known through you. Through you, like through your actual person. One chapter later, Paul says this. There we go. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. That God appeals to our world through those who know him. That he actually wants to use us to make him known. So I guess bourbon, whiskey bourbon runs through Kentucky. 95% of the world's bourbon is made in central Kentucky. Did you know this? I'm from Cincinnati, and so I'm close enough that you can almost taste the bourbon, I guess. Um, the reason is that Middle Kentucky has like all the, right, all the right ingredients to distilling bourbon. They have rich soil for growing corn, they have this limestone, and they have hard, natural hard water. And all of these things are needed. And so when Skyrish and Oddish, Irish immigrants came over to America with their craft of distillation, They moved to central Kentucky to begin distilling bourbon, and they brought their expertise to the region, and that's why bourbon runs through Kentucky. Well, the gospel runs through you. 
The love of Jesus runs through you. You've tasted the water. You've experienced it. You've been transformed. God has changed your life. In your weaknesses, he has uh, been your strength. In your brokenness, he has put you back together. And because of that, you are the perfect set of right factors for the love of God to be shared with this world. Have you ever considered that maybe the things that God has given you, he's given you because he wants to use them? Like your passions. That God has given you passions. You love certain things. You're into music. You're into vinyl records. You're into coffee. You're like into that thing. You love Star Wars. And somehow, yes, God wants to use the things that you're passionate about in order to make himself known, to make an appeal through you to others. I think of Alan Kathy Caperna uh, here in our congregation. They love setting up and establishing businesses. That's not all of us, that's them. And yet, as they go about doing that, they are very intentional about how is it that we can show the love of God as we establish businesses. I think of Mark Daly, who loves music, and he's in a local uh, uh, a band. I can't remember what it's called, but he's in a local band playing his music in relationship with one another. I think of Wendy Jenkins, who loves knitting. You wouldn't catch me knitting. But she loves knitting and having people in her home and sharing life and sharing Jesus. Your passion is for a reason, and God wants to use it. Your personality, you have quirks. You have things that repel some people, but you know what? You have things that draw people. You might not be everyone's cup of tea, but you are somebody's cup of tea. You're not everyone's cup of tea, but you are someone's cup of tea. And someone who would not find me very appealing to spend time with might very much be attracted to you. They might not give me the time of the day, but they would absolutely give you the time of the day because you guys connect. God has and wants to use your personality as you connect with people, that you would build those relationships and allow his love to flow from you to them. And I know for me, I just try to keep my eye. If people are open to me, I build relationships. And people are, are not open to me, that's fine. Move on. Middle school taught me that. <laughs> your strengths and gifts. You have abilities. You're good at things. You have skills. What would it look like for you to direct those gifts and talents and skills, not just to make a living for yourself, but to actually proclaim the love of Jesus? What might that look like? You also have weaknesses and illnesses. But even in your suffering or body afflictions, God still desires to make his hope known through you. I think of Gemma Everly, who last spring caught pneumonia. For like three weeks, she was like in and out of the hospital. She was bedridden. I mean, if you know Gemma, she's like super energetic and like wiry with like tons of personality. And here she is suffering from like this illness that's not allowing her to live life the way that she normally does. And even in her bed in the hospital, she shares the love of Jesus with Amanda, a nurse, and Amanda's husband, Jonathan. And they come to know Jesus. And uh, Gemma begins and is continuing to meet with them, to share with them from the Bible in relationship with God. Every, everything, everything that we have. I mean, that's an exciting life. Everything that you have. It's not just proclaiming through your mouth. It is through your whole person that Jesus wants to make himself known. So my question is, how much of you do you currently make available to Jesus? How much of yourself do you currently make available to him? I mean, what I love about this is that there's no one right way. There's no formula. When Kyle asked me to do this, I didn't have the three-step ways of making him known because 
it's too specific to you. It's too creative. It's too uh, organic. It's too relational. It, it's you with God and, and being in a relationship with him, and it's you with your world and your world that God wants his love to come through you. So how? What might this look like? Well, I think, one, we need to invest. We need to invest consistently. You know, if you met with a financial planner, Dan Watts in the back, Dan's a financial planner, he'll help you with your finances. I'm thinking Dan would say this. If you want to retire at age 65 or 70, you should invest 10, 15% of your income every single month. And you should just invest it every single month. And you know what? When you get to the end of your retirement, the market has done reasonably well, you'll be able to retire. Well, that's in, somewhat insecure. But our security of eternity, the things that we give to God, God always keeps and grows it. He promises it to us. And so we invest consistently in places. Keep watch might be a place where you can consistently begin to invest your time in others. Going to a nursing home every Sunday for an hour after church is a place you can continue or start to invest your time other, in other people. People are doing it in community groups. You might have a passion for schools. You might have a passion for moms. You know, there's like every Wednesday, like the mom club at the local library. I wouldn't go there, but some of you should go there and meet moms who have young kids who are just hanging out. You might love grilling. Begin to invite consistently your neighbors over and grill for them. So invest your time and invest your desires the things that you're passionate about, the things that you care about. So make Jesus known by investing your desires consistently. And as we invest consistently, it's really quite amazing what God is able to do. It's really quite amazing how he's able to actually impact other people's lives, how he's able to grow his own kingdom and his glory through us. I'm absolutely convinced this is the most exciting life that we can live. Yes, in touch and love with God, But my hope is for myself and for us as a church that until our very last breath on earth, we are making ourselves available, that God would use us every season of our life with every ounce of our being to to declare his hope and his love in him through us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Would you allow it to just sit in our hearts for a moment, the treasure that you've given us, that you have received us and accepted us just as we are, not because we deserved it or earned it, but because of your love. And God, as we are wrestling with our place in that of declaring you to our our world, God, would your peace begin to fill our hearts, that you're the master planner, you, you take care of your own kingdom, God. You know how you're going to lead people to yourself. And God, would you free us up that we would freely offer ourselves at your use. God, show us, open our eyes to how we can use our passions and our personality and our gifts and even our weaknesses to be a vehicle for your love for others. That you might actually, in the ashes, create new life. In your name, Jesus, amen.